It is my great privilege to preach God's word. So if you're a guest here at Palm Vista, the main portion of our time together is to gather around God's word. So if you have a Bible, open that Bible and uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be starting at verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. And we do welcome you to Palm Vista Community Church's series in the letter of 1 Peter. And if it's your first time here, you get a double blessing. You get to be here at the opening of the series and at the closing of the series, because today's the last message in 1 Peter. So we're concluding a series that we began many, many months ago. And it's with great joy that we're preaching God's word this morning. And it's about tenacious grace. That's the title of the message this morning. Tenacious grace. This entire letter, when we began it many months ago, it began with these words. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's how the Apostle Peter began this message, this letter. And now in the last sermon, the Apostle Peter is saying the same thing. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. An entire book that's dedicated to God's grace. That's what this book's about. That's what this series has been about. And this morning, we focus in on tenacious grace. When you hear that word tenacious grace, you might be asking yourself, that's kind of funny. I always thought that grace was meek and mild. Oh, no. True grace is tenacious. True grace is the power of God that enables you to stand against the very powers of hell. All hell can be formed against you, and grace allows you to stand firm in God. Because grace is about God's power. It's about God's righteousness. It's about Christ's righteousness, not yours. And when you stand in that, there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper when God is for you. That's why it's tenacious grace. And you know, we often can find the purpose of a letter or a book by reading the very first chapter and by reading the very last chapter. That's a great way to find out what a book is about. As a matter of fact, if you're trying to understand how to study the Bible, let me commend something to you. Read the very first couple of paragraphs and then skip to the last couple of paragraphs and ask yourselves, is there a theme here that the author is repeating? Is there something I see at the very beginning of the book and something I see at the very end of the book? And if you find that, you have found a wonderful treasure because you have found the purpose for that letter or that book. And we find that here in these verses. In verse 12, Peter states his purpose in writing this letter. And it is to give courage to encourage the Christians that were living in the first century in modern day Turkey to stand firm in God's grace that never lets them go. In fact, that is a summary statement of the sermon this morning on the screen. Stand firm in God's grace that never lets you go. Stand firm in God's grace that never lets you go. So let's read about that grace. Let's read about tenacious grace that enables us to stand firm because God never will let us go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon 
who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. It is the season for taking road trips. Or as we call them, vacations. The Smidgen family, who normally sit right here, so you are the new Smidgen family. Welcome, welcome, church, the Smidgen family. The Smidgen family embarked on a road trip, a 3,000-mile road trip. Yes, they did this week. And they traveled to the great Northwest, where Corey was born. And they're visiting family there. And they did it in typical Smidgen fashion. You know what that means, right? Where you're able to fly five people to Seattle, Washington, with $15.25, using all of your coupons, all of your free flights, all of your creative bookings. Creative bookings, you ask? Oh, yes. Does that mean that Corey stuffed one of the kids in the luggage rack or something? What does that mean? Don't put it past him. Uh, no, but it, does, it did mean that he sent the family in shifts. Yeah, he sent CJ and Annika first on Wednesday morning of last week, and then Corey, Cindy, Lana, Joel, and Stephen left on Wednesday afternoon. But eventually they all got there Wednesday night. This morning, we're talking about another road trip, but it's not a vacation. Now, this morning, we're talking about a road trip that God has initiated to bring us the news of his grace. It's the road trip, it's the road trip that Sylvanus is going to take to bring the letter of 1 Peter to Christians in modern-day Turkey who were desperate for grace. Why were they desperate for grace? Because they were under incredible pressure for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were suffering. Life didn't make sense. There were things happening that they didn't understand. Some were even beginning to lose their jobs because of their faith, or perhaps an opportunity to go to school, or perhaps certainly friends and family were beginning to reject them. And they needed grace. And like our first century brothers, we need grace this morning because we are in great need. There's persecution. There's pressure that's coming. What's happened this last week has caused confusion. We're wondering what is going on with our world. And particularly those of us that live in South Florida come from families that left very difficult situations. And perhaps you were born in another country and you came to this country and you were in need and you needed help. And that's the kind of desperate need that we have for the grace of God. And the grace comes to us through Jesus Christ, who took the greatest road trip ever. He came from heaven to earth to give us grace. And that's the grace that we need this morning. And the Bible talks about that grace in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is your time of need right now? Where do you need grace right now? 
at work, at home, in that financial situation, in a relationship, wanting to lead your wife, wanting to care for your children, wanting to get the promotion, wanting to get accepted to that school, trying to work out something in your life which you know is destructive, what the Bible calls a sin, but you can't seem to get over it, providing for your family men. Where do you need grace this morning? My prayer is that you would come to Christ Jesus, seated in the heavenlies, on the throne of grace for the Christian. And you would find that grace in your time of need. I want to pray for that right now. I want to pray that God would meet you where you need him. That today you wouldn't just hear my words. You wouldn't just understand what happened in the first century. You wouldn't just understand the idea of grace, but that you would experience grace today. For whatever need you have, whatever worry is on your mind right now. So let me pray for you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that this word of grace would come to these listening to me in the 21st century in Miami Lakes with the same power and authority and effectiveness as the word of your grace came to those in the first century living in modern-day Turkey. We share one thing, Father. We all need grace to help in our time of need. You know everyone's need here. Better then they even know it. So would you meet that need through the grace in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Point one, God's grace never lets you go. The message of 1 Peter, as I said, is grace. It began with grace. It ends with grace. And this grace runs through the entire letter. Just to give you a sampling, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2b to 6. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, church, though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials. God tells us here at the beginning of the book that you are saved by grace and I, by my power, will keep you by grace for that salvation which I'm keeping in the heavens for you. I will keep you. God's grace never lets you go, ever. Because God's power secures you in that grace. So in your worst time, when you're so confused, when you feel like you've lost your faith, when you feel like you've lost all hope, when you feel like that nothing's making sense, God's grace, God's power is holding you in the grace because God's the one that gave you life in the first place. You were dead and he gave you life. And that same power, the resurrection power of God, will keep you in his grace. And in verse 12 of our passage... Peter tells the recipients, I'm sending this letter, this word of grace, by way of a guy named Silvanus. Well, Silvanus is said to be a faithful brother in verse 12. What that means is that Silvanus, or as he's commonly called in the New Testament, Silas. So if you know your Bible, you've heard that name Silas before. See, Silas is a faithful brother because he's not just a ministry partner of Peter, because he is. Peter's going to entrust him with something more precious than gold. That's the word of God. 
to be sent a thousand miles to people in desperate need of it. But Silas was also a ministry partner of Paul. We find out here that Silas is no stranger to dangerous road trips. We look in Acts chapter 15, verses 39 to 41, that Silas accompanied Paul on Paul's second missionary journey way back in 51 AD. Peter is writing this in 62 AD. 11 years earlier, old Silas linked up with Paul for the second missionary journey. That's what it says here in Acts chapter 15. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, that's Silvanus, Silas, and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Now, the map on the screen is going to show you that on the second missionary journey, Syria and Cilicia, which is the part there, you see where it says Asia, you see Cilicia, Syria, well, that's, that's modern-day Turkey. That's the eastern end of modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey goes all the way around Asia, Lycia. So Silas had been sent to the people of modern-day Turkey, the people to whom Peter is writing 11 years earlier. Silas makes his way to Rome somehow and is a ministry associate, associate pastor with Peter at the church in Rome. And now, 11 years later, Peter writes a letter to these people that Silas knows. Silas may have evangelized. Silas may have baptized some of them. He says, you take this letter, which is the grace of God, to people who need the grace of God. And you travel uh, uh, 1,000 miles from Rome on the left all the way over to Asia, minor, Turkey. That was a tough trip, man. I mean, I mean, listen, a lot of that trip would have been uh, overseas, which was difficult. They had pirates, they had storms. Uh, it wasn't a cruise liner. It wasn't like the cruise my wife and I are going to take in the fall to the Mediterranean. It will not be like that. They were not going to have lobster and steak and you know, have guys serving you all day and swimming in a pool. No, no, these were serious ships that you easily could be uh, destroyed in a storm, and they were pirates. But listen, even when he's not in a ship, in those days, you walked the rest of the way. And at best, on a good day, you're walking 18, maybe 20 miles. Dude is going on a serious road trip. But God is the one who's sending him to bring grace to a people in need of grace. These suffering saints, this faithful man. And you know what's really cool? Back then, when you entrusted someone with important news like that, so the, you know, Silas has got the letter here underneath his arm. It looked just like this Bible. A letter just, and he's walking. He's walking, he's walking. It's probably a parchment, probably rolled up. But when he got there, can you imagine what it was like when he got there? I don't know how long it took him to get there. Don't ask me. But when he got there, He says, I've got good news for you. And he would read it to them. And because he was a faithful man, he was entrusted. That's at the end, Peter says, you can trust this guy. He then was given the privilege of answering their questions and clarifying their their misunderstandings. There were a lot of people that asked questions back then, like today. And so imagine he's reading to these people. Silas, Silas, we haven't seen you for 11 years. Where have you been? I've been in Rome with Peter. Really? And Paul was there too. We'll get to that later. Yeah, Paul most likely was in Rome with Peter and Silas. And they bring you good news. And let me read it to you. And he reads it to them. And they do what some of you do. What some of you are doing to me right now. What's he saying? Honey, why is he yelling? (laughs) What? 
does that mean? And unlike what I do, which maybe someday I will do this, at the end of him give, reading it, he says, any questions? So can you imagine if you could ask me a question right now? Don't do it. But, you know, hey, Al, you know, what did, you, what did Paul mean? What did Peter mean when he said that we share the sufferings of Christ? Well, what, hey, what did Peter mean when he said the end is near? It's when you have someone like Mickey with a bunch of charts and he could just break them all out. God sent Silas all that way to bring grace to these folks. And God has sent his word today. And I'm, not, I'm, no, I'm no Silas, not even close. He risked his life for the gospel. I haven't had that privilege yet. But just like Silas was a faithful man, and he had the privilege of then explaining what he was delivering, that's what we pastors do. Hopefully we're faithful men. And we read you the word, and you're not asking, but we're... We're interpreting. We're trying to clarify. In community groups, we do ask. And we try to, and there's other faithful men and women there that are saying, this is what I think it means. Because we've got to understand God's grace. Without God's grace, we're sunk. Right? We're weak. We're helpless. We're, we're hurting. We're confused. But God's grace comes to you in your time of need. It's my privilege to help you understand that grace. It is the grace that never lets you go. I'm telling you right now, it's the grace that never lets you go. Mark it down. It's the grace of God because he called us to himself when we were running from him. It's the grace that makes peace between enemies of God and God. We were his enemies. Let me tell you about this grace. It's the grace that sustains you when you've come to the end of your strength and your health and your money and your time. It's the grace of God that saves you when you deserve his wrath. We've read throughout Peter, it's the grace that gives you life when all of your dreams and your every, all your desires and everything, even relationships seem dead and broken. It's the grace of God that never breaks, that never dies. It's the grace that calls us to a better life, to holiness. There's something better than the lusts and the lies and the greed and the materialism and the selfishness of this world. It's the grace of God that gives us a vision of holiness. It it tells us who we are made in the image of God and then gives us the power to become that, to be better men and women. The grace of God, this true grace, is the grace that says you're part of a family now. And we need that because due to the gospel at times, we lose our own families. We lose our friends. We lose our workmates. When they find out that we live for Jesus and we believe certain ways about certain things, then many times they reject us and it can feel lonely. But God's grace says you're not alone. The grace of God teaches us to suffer now with Christ by faith so that we would receive the glory of Christ when he comes. It says that as Jesus suffered before he entered into glory, so we must suffer before we enter into glory. This is the grace of God. This is the grace that enables me to stand when the onslaughts come and the doubts come. It's God's grace, and it's available to the humble. We just read that last week. The grace of God is available to those who humble themselves under God's mighty hand. Because it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There are things that happen in our lives apart from the 
national events that we've read about this week, in our own little lives, in your little corner of the universe, wherever you live, Hialeah, Miami Lakes, Pembroke, Miramar, Kendall, wherever you live, Miami Beach, Miami Shores, there are things that happen in your little world that are going to tempt you, man. They're going to tempt you to compromise. They're going to tempt you to fear. They're going to tempt you to give up. They're going to tempt you to flight, to just, you know, here comes, I'm going to run. To some, they're going to tempt you to fight. (laughs) The wrong kind of way. (laughs) Vengeance is mine, says Alpino, that kind of fight, which is not allowed by the scriptures. Um, But God's grace comes and gives us God's perspective and helps us when we need help, when we don't know what to do with the family situation. It helps us. And it's all God. But, point two, God calls us to stand firm in his grace. And, And the two are not contradictory. God calls us to stand firm in his grace, but he tells us he'll never let us go. Huh? Yeah, it's both and. It's both and. And I'm glad it's both and, aren't you? You can't just sit back and do whatever you want to do and say, oh, God's grace will never let me go. That's not true grace. But nor can you worry that you can lose that grace. You can't. God God will not let go of you, no matter how hard you wriggle around and wiggle around and kick him and spit and punch. It's just it's like the little kid, you know. You know, let's say, you know, a seven-foot guy, you know, and he's got a little kid that's about this big, and the little kid ah! and you're just laughing and he's laughing, because I mean, you know, eventually he's gonna get tired and he'll just lay down. But that father will never let that child go. God will never let us go. But point two, he calls us to stand in that grace that will never let us go. Look at it again in verse 12. By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, speaking of the whole letter, stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. He's calling you to stand firm in it. All right, Al, great. I'm glad he's calling me to stand firm in it. How do I do that? How do I do that? Well, by definition... If it's the grace of God that never lets you go, you start there. Okay, so start there. Start there. He will not let you go. So it has to start there. It's going to be by grace. I'm going to stand firm in the grace of God by the grace of God. <laughs> okay? It's, it is true. I'm not being redundant here. I'm being biblical. It's got to start with you understanding God's got you and he's not letting you go. But then he teaches us how to stand firm. And how do we do that? Well, we preached it last week, my friends. It starts, it it moves to humility. Do you remember that scripture that we talked about last week? Humble yourselves, verse 6 in chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Verse 5 taught us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Look at it in your scriptures. I'm not making this up. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. At the end of verse 5 of First Peter 5. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. God's grace flows to people that humble themselves. God's grace will flow to you when you humble yourself. And when I humble myself, think about it. The the initial humbling is repenting and believing in Jesus. That's a gift from God. But we must respond. So how is God calling you to humble yourself before him this morning? 
I know for me, when I'm not humbling myself, I'm usually, it begins with me with complaining and impatience. And oftentimes, those complaints and that impatience come flying out of my mouth. So I ask myself, how can I humble myself under God's hand? I can say, thank you, Lord, for this surprise news that I got because I trust you and you know what you're doing rather than complaining to God that he doesn't know what he's doing. That's, that's how we stand. We, we stand by humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. Lord, I trust you. Lord, you are, know what you're doing. Father, I, I thank you for this. You're my creator. You know how to take care of me. How else can I stand in the grace of God? I remember that, that, that I have brothers and sisters throughout the world that are standing with me. Look at verse 13. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, so does Mark, my son. Babylon? What are we talking about here? Who, who's in Babylon? Who is Peter talking about here? He's talking about the church in Rome. So what Peter is saying to them, you stand firm in the grace of God, knowing that just like the church in Rome, you are God's chosen people. You're, you did not choose God. God chose you. Now, you did choose him after he chose you, but you could never choose him unless he had first chosen you. I love doing that because Marcos, back here interpreting for me, just lost his mind. He is, he's crying on the floor right now. And if you're getting interpretation, right, you can confirm that. Too mischievous. How do you stand firm in the grace of God? Listen, your identity is as a chosen one of God. You, you're chosen. That's how you stand. And you, and you think, I have brothers and sisters throughout the world right now that are fellow chosen ones of God. Like he said there, this, this church in Babylon, which is in Rome. And we stand together. As it says in verse 14, greet one another with the kiss of love. That's just the greeting of, of friendship. We in Miami understand that one. Anglos sometimes can freak out about that one. Kiss of love. We know what the kiss of love is. Put your cheek there. Just give one of those deals, right? That's it. No more. That, that's the same idea. You, you offer your cheek in friendship. Now, now think about this for a second. What enables me to stand is I know that the gospel of God, the grace of God, is going to knit us together as a church, even when we have disagreements and we have falling out. Remember I, was, I told you about Silas and Mark and Paul and Peter? Well, at the writing of this letter, 62 A.D., History tells us most likely Paul was in Rome as a prisoner. Most likely Paul was sent as a prisoner from Jerusalem via a ship that had got shipwrecked and all that crazy story in Acts. And he most likely arrived in Rome around 60 AD. If that is true, if that dating is true, and if Paul was martyred, killed for the gospel around 64 AD, on the Ostian Way outside of Rome. Peter was martyred by being crucified upside down. History tells us that Paul was martyred by having his head chopped off. Still happening today. It's nothing new. So if he was martyred in 64 AD, he got to Jerusalem in 60 AD, and this letter was written in 62 AD, what's really cool 
is that most likely Silas, now catch this, Silas who in 51 AD was the man Paul chose to go with him on the second missionary journey because he and Barnabas, ministry partners in the first missionary journey, got into such an argument that they split, they broke up, the ministry broke apart. How can these two missionary apostle pastors have such an argument that they broke apart? They broke apart because Barnabas wanted his cousin Mark to go with them on the second missionary journey. But Paul said, no way is Mark going on the second missionary journey. He abandoned us on the first missionary journey. And they got in such an argument that, that Paul chose Silas and went on, on his way, and Barnabas chose Mark. But what does Peter say here in verse 14? Sorry, at the end of verse 13. The church sends its greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Oh, that's good stuff. That's good stuff, church. The grace of God reunited Paul and Mark and Silas and Peter. Reunited men who had gotten into a serious disagreement, so much so that they broke apart from each other. And 11 years later, we find Mark is in Rome. Paul is in Rome, I think. Peter certainly is in Rome. Silas is in Rome. They're probably having fellowship. And then Peter says, listen, Silas, you're a trusted man. And Paul is like, yeah, he's a trusted man. They're sitting somewhere talking about this outside, you know, and enjoying some libations. Whatever they did back then, okay? Whatever guys did back then. And they said, Silas, listen, you want, you're going, right? Yeah, I'm going. All right. You, you know, it's a thousand miles, right? Yeah. You know, there's no flights here, right? Yeah. There's no smidgen special here. You, you're taking a boat. You're walking. Yes, I do know that. But I want to go back, Paul, to the guys that we preach the gospel to. You who were the apostle of the Gentiles and all those Gentiles in Asia Minor that are suffering. Send it with me. I'm going with the grace of God. Peter, who was called as the apostle of the Jews, said, yeah, take it to him. Take it to him. Can, can you imagine the prayer meeting when Paul and Peter and Mark, who had been reconciled with Paul, prayed for Silas? I wish I could have been there. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to get glimpses of that. You know, like you get these little, like, you know, internet videos, you know, like, this day in history, 62 AD, the prayer meeting of Silas and Paul and Peter as they commissioned that man to go risk his life for the gospel. And here's the point. Here's the point. At the end of this letter, what does Peter write? What is the last sentence of the letter of 1 Peter? Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. When people are in turmoil, listen, what they need is peace. Your greatest need is peace. What do you mean, Al? Your greatest need is peace with God because apart from Christ, you are his enemy, you're at war with God, and when you're at war with God and you're his enemy, God wins. You can be at peace with everybody else, but if you still have open warfare with God, you're in deep, serious trouble. And so the grace of God tells me I have peace with God because Jesus took the wrath I deserve And some of you who don't know Christ, listen up. This is the gospel. I want you to listen carefully. And I pray you respond as God allows you to. Jesus came and and, and took the wrath we deserve. And Jesus was broken and crucified on the cross to win peace with us. And this peace is ours in Christ. Remember, Peter began. 
Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Chapter 1. At the end, the last sentence, the peace of God be with you in Christ. This is what people in turmoil need. They need peace. They need the shalom of God. They need well-being in their bones. Because without it, we suffer. I love what Tom Rainer says in his commentary on this verse on the screen. Closing the letter with a peace wish is significant. Believers in the churches were buffeted by trials and persecutions. The stress of life was significant. Is the stress of life significant for you right now? How is it significant for you? Be thinking about that. Is it significant for you? Then what you need is peace. You have it in Christ. What believers need in such a situation is God's peace and strength, a peace that will enable them to stand amidst the pressures of the present evil age. Such peace will fortify believers. Oh, but friends, it'll fortify you. This is real, true peace, a lasting peace. So they can endure opposition and preserve, persevere to the end so that they will receive an eschatological reward. All he's saying is, at the end... Suffering now, glory, reward, amazing things now. Peace now, but that peace realized and consummated at the coming of Christ. God began this book with grace and peace. He ends this letter with grace and peace. And he calls us to a gospel road trip, friends, to share that grace and peace as we exit those doors and enter our mission field, our front lines. You may not be traveling 1,000 miles to Turkey today, but you're traveling 15 miles to Hialeah. 25 miles to Hollywood, wherever. And you've got the grace of God, the word of God. Here's God's appeal, that we would stand firm in his grace that never lets us go. That we would understand his grace, that we would know his grace, that we would experience his grace, we would communicate his grace, that we would humble ourselves to receive his grace. For some of you, humbling yourself may mean going back to somebody and asking for forgiveness. And for others of you, humbling yourself may mean forgiving someone that's hurt you. For some, humbling yourself may mean asking for prayer. It may mean giving. It may mean serving. I'm not sure what it means for you. But I know that when you humble yourself by faith in Christ, he will give you grace, grace, grace. And if you don't, he will oppose you. I pray that you and I, we, would humble ourselves And cry out, all I have is Christ. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me. Lord God, I pray for those who are seated now in this auditorium. I pray for those who might be listening to this via digital recording. Lord, I pray that first of all, that you would give them the understanding that grace is all from you. That you gave us life when we were dead. That you saved us when we were lost. That you made us your friends when we were your enemies. And you took that upon yourself, Lord Jesus, on the cross. And in your resurrection, you sealed the forgiveness that is ours. Lord, I pray there would be grace and peace multiplied to those hearing my voice. Right now, whatever area that they have need... Where they need your grace, Lord. And just take a moment. Think about that area for you. Father, you would come and meet them. Begin to put in their hearts what it looks like to humble themselves under your mighty hand and stop resisting you. Show them. Give them faith, Lord. Let them see your promises that as they share your sufferings now, so they will share your glories on the day you return. And Lord, would you continue to build your church 
by the power of your word, keeping your people for that inheritance that you are keeping for them in the heavenlies. And Lord, we will be very careful to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Let us sing, All I Have is Christ. This is our confession, church. All I have is Christ, but he is enough. Let us sing.